After all, making out the income tax is nothing. What do you mean, nothing? When I get through, the income tax collector will get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's funny? How people love to jip on their income tax. Yeah. That's because it's such a cinch. They never can catch smart guys like us. No! <laughs> hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Ian, I don't want to be unfair to you, but since we sold the business, you've had some survivalist tendencies. Are you talking about the cash underneath the rug in my living room? <laughs> that and some other things I won't mention during this episode we'll have to discuss off the air. But there have been some conspiracy theories swirling around the show that I thought you would be interested in. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the topic is how does one get selected to be on the show? How do we choose our guests? I can tell you this about that process, and it's very simple. It is a dictatorship. <laughs> we are the rule, and our fist is heavy, and it comes down hard. You just said that because that's the only realm in your entire life in which you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the only place I feel like I have power in my life. The truth is this. We get a lot of emails and inquiries about coming on the show, which I think is awesome. A lot. And proportionate to the amount of people that are actually on the show, it's very low. And I think that people are curious about how that process works. Very simple. It's not good enough that you're an awesome person because you're all awesome people. But it is important that you're building interesting businesses. Yeah. And let me expound on that just a bit. Each week, what we're trying to do is focus on like a concept or an idea that's shown through the business. You know, like last week, we wanted to talk a little bit about YouTube. Sometimes we want to talk about a particular location and we bring guests on to help illuminate those things. Something's coming out of this conversation for me. And I think that this will be helpful for people inquiring about the show. One of the things that we sit around and do besides crack each other up with our jokes is we try and come up with topics that we feel like will be interesting to the audience. So not necessarily centered on people, but ideas. That's a great point. We're looking for ideas before people. Right. Unless someone that is extremely distinguished. But, you know, when you're talking about successful entrepreneurs, you can shake a stick and hit one, right? So I like that idea. It's an idea before a person. So if the idea is search engine optimization or, you know, dealing with the fear of breaking out of the mold of your family in order to start a business, then it's like, well, who has an interesting perspective on that idea? Right. And so I think if you want to be really helpful to the process, and I think a lot of people do, it would be great for us to get an inbox full of ideas that we should cover. For example, you guys should take a look at what's going on in this aspect of online business. It's very interesting. These are the five people that you might want to talk to. For us, that's how we make a show. It's idea before person, but it's also story before person. You know, what's the story? Not just I'm a successful entrepreneur, but, you know, what was the idea? And so a few months ago, we put a call into the DC forum. And if you want to learn about that forum, you can go to tropicalmba.com slash DC podcast. The idea for the story was this. Who had started a business based on an idea they got from this podcast and our favorite game of Donate a Business Idea? So the people who got in touch with us were Ben McAdam, a certified practicing accountant, 
and Merrill Johnston, a child accountant with a consultancy called MCJ. And it turns out that just under a year ago, they followed up on an idea they heard on the show and created a productized service called Bean Ninjas. So you're still hanging with me here? I'm here. Enough of the throat clearing. That's right. Let's hear about how they got started. And just for clarification, you're going to hear Merrill talk about Dan Norris, who many of us may know. But for any of us that don't know, he is the founder of WP Curve and also the author of The Seven Day Startup. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're thinking of taking action on some of the ideas you hear on this podcast, that book will definitely throw some fuel on your fire. It's a pretty quick read. For some context, as of today, Bean Ninjas, the company that Merrill and Ben have founded, is employing 10 people with 50 clients and is currently turning over $135,000 in annual reoccurring revenue. Here is their story. is online bookkeeping in a nutshell. I mean, most people have a bookkeeper, but we do it online using the Xero software, spelt X-E-R-O. We have a range of fixed fee plans, and so we take care of all the bookkeeping. We try and make it as painless and in the background as possible, and we can also take care of the related sales tax filings and the equivalent here in Australia, the GST, Canadian GST, UK VAT, and New Zealand GST as well. Ben and I hadn't actually met in person we came across the idea differently. So for me, I was working from a co-working space on the Gold Coast and came across Dan Norris. So I had a consulting business that was proving difficult to scale. And I chatted with Dan and he was saying, someone's got to start the WP Curve for bookkeeping and introduced me to the DC. And when I joined, I came across Ben, who was another accountant based in Australia. And we'd both been experimenting in our businesses with a subscription type service, but in a different format to a productized service where there's fixed plans and fixed pricing. So we chatted through a DC mastermind about potential ideas and, and eventually decided that we'd actually, we were a good fit to start a business together. Ben, you were saying, I think I read that you heard Tristan King mention this as one of his business idea donations on the show. Last year, I incorporated turning from a sole trader into yeah, an incorporated company and finding a location-independent, savvy accountant to help me do that was very much an uphill battle. <laughs> I know David and his team at Greenback Tax Services have some great advice and some great support for people in the US. And I think it would be a great productized services business to have something like that for international clients. So it could be the Greenback Tax Services for Australia or for, for European residents. Yeah, actually, it was very spooky timing. I think it was TMBA 282. I was listening to that episode and heard him say that, and I was on the train on the way to meet Merrill in person so we could discuss working together. The way he phrased it, that gave us a lot of fodder to talk over in that meeting and also gave us a bit of a push that if it was put out there on the internet, we'd better get moving before someone else started it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you guys are going to stick around and give us your business donation idea because I think it's only fair that that kind of goes around in a circle. Sounds like part of your Genesis story was built inside of the DC, but it also sounds like you are kind of resisting some of the ideas that other DCers are working under. I should say assumptions maybe that a productized service is the best type of business to start for your 
your type of business, which is bookkeeping. Before we really started Bean Ninjas, we had set fixed pricing per month, but we would quote it to each individual client. We'd say to them, all right, you know, your bookkeeping's simple, maybe $100 a month, or your bookkeeping's really intense and you need us to go on site. We'll say, you know, $1,000 a month or something. And we didn't have any fixed bundle of services that was included or specifically excluded. I think because we were trapped in the consultant mindset of a lead comes in and you do whatever you can for that person because, you know, there may not be another lead or something like that. So part of what we did when we started Being Ninjas was try to be very specific about where the lines were around our service, what was included, what was excluded, what we would grow into eventually taking over, what tasks we would take over for people and what we would leave for their accountant to handle. Like, for example, interpreting the financial reports we put together. We don't do that at Bean Ninjas. We just prepare a good set of financial reports in consultation with the client, how they want them to look. But we leave it to the tax accountant or you know an outside business coach to actually provide advice based on those. Just adding to what Ben said, in my previous business, I was offering subscription service, but I was targeting big clients. So I'd be charging, say, $3,000 a month or more, but the whole scoping process and then the initial implementation could take months. I could only really take one client on at a time. That was my bottleneck. So I found that was why my previous business was difficult to grow. And so we learned from that. We'd been ninjas and were more targeted about who our actual clients were. And we normally say businesses with zero to four employees. Plus, often they have a remote team somewhere like the Philippines. So by doing that, we were able to build repeatable processes for that size client, whereas previously going after the larger clients, it was very diverse what their needs were. Interesting. So it sounds like from your previous experiences, you kind of knew the kind of clients that you wanted to work with. Generally speaking, though, in a business like this, it takes a long time to kind of whittle down in a way and figure out who your ideal client is. What are some of the tactics that you guys use to figure this out so fast? I like the Tropical MBA, the thousand day principle, and I think that still fits with us if you start it from a year or two before we began Bean Ninjas because we had that learning and experimentation period previously as part of our consulting work. I think it became obvious then who the painful clients were who wanted a great deal of service but weren't really willing to pay for it. And it also became obvious who the clients were that had similar approaches to business that we did, like, you know, very systems-based online businesses in particular really stood out for us. We did have that experimentation period first, and then we are still learning what the best Bean Ninjas clients are now. How important do you guys think that professional experience was for you? I mean, do you think you could have started a service in an area that you don't have professional training in? I think it would be hard unless you partnered with someone that did have that training. For us, starting a productized service, initially we were earning less than we would have been doing consulting work. So because we were quoting a fixed fee, our hourly rate was actually much higher, but we were building something that was scalable. So if we jumped straight into doing a productized service before we'd had that consulting experience, and I guess also had a consulting business that was paying us money while we launched, it would have been difficult to continue with the productized service because it took a while until it was paying enough to support us. Ben's story will, I'm sure, resonate with some listeners because part of the reason he wanted to change his life was that his life was already changing by having a baby and he desired to spend more time with her. But when and how to cut your ties or scale back on your past business is still a live subject for both Ben and Merrill. 
The goal was always to wind them down. So for my business, I scaled it back to I only have three clients left in my business that are on retainers. And I've let two of them know that I'll be finishing. So MCJ Consulting is my other business and finishing that at the end of June this year. And then the last client is a surf resort in Indonesia favorite client. So I'm not going to let them, I'll still keep going with them, but I have a team that can do most of that work now. Yeah. Same thing for me, really. My other business is a tax practice and I don't need to tell you how boring tax is and it's less scalable and you know having to keep up with the legislation. So for me, staying in tax was never the end goal, but I do actually have quite a few clients who listen to this podcast. So to them, I say, don't panic. I am actually <laughs> planning on keeping a few of them for a couple of years. I might just wind the practice down to those few clients that I really enjoy working with. Guys, I'm curious if you could warp us back to those original meetings and the first few weeks and months of working on the business. Like you guys are professionals, you're good at what you do ostensibly. That's why people hire you. You're competent. But now all of a sudden you're stepping into this new role where you're doing something completely different. What were the things that felt most disorienting about productizing versus charging your clients for your services? The hardest part for us was learning to say no to things that were outside the productized service. But we had to be a bit flexible at the same time because we were still working out what the inclusions were and testing it in the marketplace. So having to say no while balancing that learning process, that was a bit difficult. I mean, for us, we had recently set up our businesses, so we knew all the official things that you need to do, like getting a business name, setting up a website, all that was pretty easy. And setting up the internal systems was pretty easy because we'd also been offering a similar type service in our separate practices before. I suppose marketing and generating leads was the real challenge. Especially for me. So the way we ended up dividing the roles, because Ben and I both have similar backgrounds, we're both accountants, so we both can actually do the work. I think it was probably in October when we had that big rush of clients and we realized we needed to actually work out some roles and not have both of us doing everything in the business. And so that was when we put Ben in charge of the bookkeeping team. So training new bookkeepers and then reviewing their work and pushed me more into a marketing role, which is not my background. I'm enjoying it, but there was a lot of learning to do. So I'd never really written blog posts before. I'd been interested in building relationships, which was with my previous business. That's where most of the work came from. But content marketing was not something I'd ever been involved with before or using social media for business. And we've only really just started out doing that with this business and still it's pretty early days. Most of our business still comes through word of mouth, but that's my role and my focus for this year is building up that side of the business. Yeah, so this is, I think, one of the most probably profound shifts that's going to happen to professionals or people that are used to delivering a service. All of a sudden, you go from being the expert to being a complete novice at running a business, and you're running around being the jack of all trades. A lot of new skills. Can you think back to when you just started your business and you were running around like doing accounting and manufacturing and the wheels were falling off the podiums and all that? Yeah, I think that there's a couple different types of people. You know, I'm the kind of person that when I get into a business situation and when we were first starting our business, I was really excited to learn all these different skill sets because I understood that these are the skills that you need to run a business. And so it's not just good enough that you're a designer, right? You also have to be an accountant. You have to be a strategist. You have to be an assembler in the warehouse sometimes. It's like all these skills contribute though to my ultimate goal of owning this business and being successful. You know, outside of the context of that business, the skills aren't that interesting to me, but because 
because I have this platform, I find them very interesting. Yeah, and I think it's the right work to be doing too because one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is they try to bolt these things on without truly understanding them first. So I think the fact that Merrill's going in there and jumping into this stuff despite having not done it before is actually a really great sign for the business. Ben, Merrill, I'm always really curious in terms of, you know, when you sit down and you have these strategy meetings, you said that you kind of talk about the future. I'm always curious when founders come together, how they vision the future and do they envision it together? So do you feel like your life trajectories are going the same way in terms of your money goals? Or are you guys kind of going in different directions with money and agree on other things? How do you guys talk about those things? I think that was something we talked about initially when we first started the business. We were really clear about what our goals are. And so both of us want to run lifestyle businesses. So eventually, for me, I want to work less than 20 hours a week. So I've got time to surf more and travel and still having a reliable, good source of income. And Ben had a similar goal in terms of working less hours and earning more and having a sustainable business that will continue long term. Guys, I've been made fun of. I swear to you, like two years ago, I wrote a blog post basically saying, why doesn't this service exist? And some accountant went into the thing and was like, sent me a private email. and was like, that was an irresponsible blog post and all this stuff. I think a lot of people look at stuff like this and they say, why hasn't anybody done this? I assume somebody's done it. It's 2016. It's bookkeeping. What made you think it was an opportunity? You must have seen something that other people weren't seeing. Yeah, we saw there are quite a few bookkeepers and accountants that are moving into fixed fee billing. That's their big revolution, fixed fee billing and going into the cloud. But they're kind of slow in general and not very tech savvy. And so we saw that there was an opportunity there because we have online business experience and we're you know, into communities like the Dynamite Circle and things like that, that we saw an opportunity there for us to get in there quickly and to stick it out for the long term. It's a similar thing with a lot of other productized services. We've seen that, you know, people announce that they're going to do it and you see it and, you know, it looks like a good service and a good price, but then six to 12 months later, you either don't hear from them again or they haven't really become a big name in their particular niche. I think that's part of the benefit of having the co-founders is because we keep one another motivated and focused and we have high growth targets, obviously, because we've got to split everything 50-50. I suppose that'd be my answer. Who's the boss, by the way? Who's the boss? We don't really have a boss. So we've both got different areas that we're looking after and we're both accountable to the other person. So related to marketing, I'll come up with ideas of what I want to spend money on and why and what results I'm expecting. And then I'll run that by Ben before I go and spend the money. And then with the bookkeeping team, Ben will keep me updated about the hiring process. I'll do an interview as well to make sure they're a good fit. And then Ben will run the team, but he'll keep me updated with what's going on and I'll still be involved with ideas around what extra training the team might need or what other processes we might need to keep the quality. So I think each of us is responsible for an area, but we're getting feedback from the other person and other input to make sure that we're doing a good job of the area that we're looking after. If you could go back and give yourself a free consulting hour, what would you advise yourselves that you know now that you didn't know when you were like, yeah, this is going to be an awesome idea. We're going to get started. Probably higher earlier. <laughs> we got ourselves into trouble in October when we had so many new clients sign up and it took us a couple of months to recover from that. We had to put all growth on hold, all strategy, all processes, and we were just heads down pumping out this bookkeeping work. So what we should have done was hired once we started to see that growth rate and train someone and build up their skills without the pressure of all the client work. And then we could have focused on growth earlier. I have a prediction to make and I want to paint a picture for you guys. And it doesn't look that dissimilar to the beginning of your business. Nostra Basadamas. Yeah. 
Here it is. <laughs> the beginning of your business, it sounds like one of your biggest problems was hiring. You somehow figured out how to get clients to the door, but then now you have to hire, basically, I assume they're like account managers to manage your clients because there's some level of face-to-face that still exists in this type of business. So here's the picture I want to paint for you. You have unlimited clients, but then you also have this issue where you have to continuously hire people. How are you dealing with the hiring process and do you see it scaling well with your business? Actually, predictions come true a couple of times already, actually. We had that period in October where we realized we needed to hire, and so November was a big hiring period. And then January and February, a lot more clients signed up, and suddenly we realized we need to hire again. Because that's the case, are you spending a lot of time writing employee handbooks, or what's kind of the plan there? We started with documented processes, and then Ben's been creating training videos. So the way our hiring and training process works at the moment, all of the applications go through them together, and then I do an initial interview, which is just to see if they're motivated, if they've got that problem-solving attitude, if they'd fit in with the rest of the team. And if they pass that, then they go across to Ben for a technical skills test to see what their zero knowledge is, what their tax skills are like, their accounting, so it's written communication normally, so what their written communication skills would be like. They pass that. Then we do the reference checks, those sort of things. And then Ben has an initial onboarding call with them. And that's where they are given access to all of the training videos that Ben's created, which show them how to use our different pieces of software, like Help Scout, which is our support email system, how to use that the way that we use it. And then they'll be given their first client, which then Ben helps them in more detail than he would once they've been set up. So that first client, Ben will help them along the way, do a detailed review. And then after that, they're into the one-on-one call a week with Ben. Dan, I want to jump in here real quick and just talk about this hiring situation. I think it's really important, especially when you're building your business, as Ben and Merrill are, to have a hands-on approach to hiring everybody that comes to the front door, at least initially. But then I think it's important to figure out a way to scale that back so you don't have to be involved so much in the hiring process, but you can still put your touch on it. So I think one of the issues that's going to come up with Ben and Merrill's business is that it's going to become a hiring machine. And so you're going to have to figure out ways to scale that process. Yeah, this this is particularly important with productized services, right? You know, a lot of times we start these businesses with the motivation of wanting to be free enough to travel around and spend time as we want. But oftentimes that's contingent on us doing the opposite at the beginning, which is really focusing on that hiring process so that you understand how it can scale without you. So we had to ask Ben and Merrill about their process. We hire our contractors, they're paid either per hour or per job. It's not like they're employees where they're getting paid every week, regardless of if there's work to do. As long as there's work, then they get their share of that particular job. So if there was less work, then we might have unhappy contractors because then they're not making enough per week. But it wouldn't mean that the business was losing money because we only pay when there's work to be done. And at the moment, there's too much work for them. So that's not an issue. But down the track, if things were to change, that could be an issue keeping that number of contractors happy with the right workload. And as far as you know, having 40 employees and wanting to go off traveling and leaving them to their own devices, I was a bit nervous about that idea actually when we started being ninjas. I've managed teams before, but they've always been small teams, like two to five most. But back in November, we hired a couple of really good bookkeepers and they've been incredibly reliable and exactly what we were hoping to hire. And some of the people we're bringing on now look like they're going to be like that as well. So I 
I think the particular people that we've hired have restored my faith in you know being able to let people work a little more unsupervised than I would previously be comfortable with. <laughs> but I should say the thought of having 40 staff is scary. <laughs> I've only ever managed a team of five or six before in other roles. So yes, that is a scary thought. You have to tell me about your hiring process because either you have the best one in the world or you're just extremely lucky. So which one is it? I'd go with luck. We've only done it a couple of times. Let's call it luck. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that, like the process of finding these people that are interested in this kind of work. Are you going to Odesk or are you putting out ads? How are you finding these people? We did try a couple of Indian staff through Odesk. Merrill even went over to India for about a month to train a couple of them. But it turned out that local staff here in Australia and in the US and in the UK, people who had tons of experience, professional experience working with clients and doing the work were a better fit for us. And I think the people we're hiring are a bit like the second wave. What we wanted to do, we wanted flexible work. So for us, we had to start businesses to do it. Whereas now the people who we're hiring don't have to start their own business. They can just come work for us. That's a very interesting point, Ben. And I think you're absolutely right. And if I had to guess about a segment of the market, accountants and bookkeepers being one of them, I mean, these guys, they already probably know how to handle many clients, but they don't know how to freelance a lot of them. And I think the tools are just getting better for them to be able to do that. And so it's interesting to hear you say that we tried overseas and for whatever reason, they weren't a good fit. But here's this whole segment of the population that's good at this and actually wants this, but doesn't necessarily want to start their own business. Exactly. Yeah. So we're finding them in the normal way you'd find employees basically posting on local job sites. There is our local equivalent of Craigslist here in Australia that we've found quite a good number of people. The mums that have young children and they don't want to have to go into an office from nine to five, even one day a week, you know, they want work that they can do at night. The demographic of people who don't want to go to an office is almost the whole population. (laughs) It's so interesting to me to find these niches of people, whether you hear about new parents is one, but I've heard so many different things like people that have hobbies that want to keep them in areas of the country that aren't like economically well off or a center of industry or people that moved for a relationship. And there's just all these different reasons. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a reason not to go to an office, you know, and I think they're willing to take so much less if you extend that to them. Exactly, yeah. So we think we're offering people a reasonably fair rate, but quite a lot of people are saying to us that the flexible work from home thing is what they were really interested in. Imagine that Americans not wanting to commute. (laughs) Yeah. Can't understand why they'd take you up on that. Yeah. (laughs) Were you guys scared to get started or was it just like, I don't know, there's so many people listening. I'm trying to say like that probably might not do something because they're worried about the consequences. I think I thought of it as fun because it felt like it was low risk in terms of Ben and I met together for three days and we set ourselves a goal of launching in three days. So we picked the business name, we built a website and we actually found a customer. But it felt like it was a fun thing to do, that we were going to spend these three days together and launch a business and see what happened. If it failed, well, it failed and we'd learn from it and we'd try something else. So for me, it felt like a fun thing to do. And if we made money out of it and could eventually stop doing the other things we're doing, fantastic. And if it didn't work, then we'd try something else. Marilyn and I were actually talking yesterday about some people who say they want to start a business or say they want to go learn a new 
new skill. We were talking about that there's some people that don't actually want to do that. They just like the idea of wanting to do that or they like the idea of doing the thing. But I think partly because we just, within a year or two before starting Bead Ninjas, we just started our businesses. We had the lesson in hustle and how it's needed and you know what you need to do to get things done. I think that helped us actually get started. I'd also been involved in a startup weekend and there's startup weekend movements all around the world and that changed my mindset about what you can do well that was over the course of a weekend and coming up with a minimum viable product so if you're wanting to take nature tours you don't need to save up and buy a bus and then do a year's worth of study and then start you go and rent a bus and start now and test it and so I think going along to that startup weekend that's what I'd recommend for other people is going that changes your mindset about what you can do and testing with customers straight away. Now that you guys are busy executives in a fast-growing company you probably have a bunch of ideas that you can't possibly act on so are you willing to play a short game of business idea donation? Sure. Quite a lot of the ideas we came up were accounting ideas, so we apologise. A couple of them are boring, but there are similar related services that we're probably not going to go into. Like if there was a payroll productized service. I know there's Zen Payroll, which is now Gusto, and there's a few other SaaS products. But again, maybe there's a SWAS opportunity there for payroll. So a SWAS business is software with a service. So somebody would use one of the payroll softwares and manage it for their clients and charge for that. Exactly. Yeah. You guys also have a list of more general business idea donations. Let's hear them. Yeah. So I think any outsourced task where you would normally be looking on Upwork and trying to find someone and sifting through a whole lot of applicants. I know if I could find a productized service for some of those things, I would use it. So things like video editing or formatting and editing blog posts. And there's probably a range of things. If you think I would look on Upwork to find someone to do this, maybe there's a potential for a productized service there. I think with a startup or a very new business, a business owner is trying to save as much money as they can. And so they'll spend the time to sort through people on Upwork. But as that business grows and they're valuing their time, they don't want to spend time doing that. So it makes sense to pay for a productized service. Meryl, you make a great point, which is like Upwork and Amazon, you know, these larger platforms, they are great for product discovery. Yeah, you can see if there's people that are willing to buy something. And part of the reason I wanted to talk with Meryl and Ben, and by the way, I think it's worth mentioning that it was really fun talking to these two and seeing them at the beginning of something really exciting. I think part of the reason we wanted to share this story is that it's not really an idea that's standing in the way of you and building your next business or your first business. You know, like these ideas are everywhere everywhere. It was Meryl and Ben that like decided it, they're just going to put the rubber to the road on this idea. That's part of the reason I felt like this story was cool. And to circle back to the beginning of the episode, I think it's worth mentioning that we've been talking with Meryl and Ben about this for months and months. It wasn't like they just shot us an email and we were following this story as it comes about. So the other part of the backstory is listening back to that episode with Tristan King fired me up. You know, like how generous he was to play that game kind of on the fly. And the fact that that idea was out there then and was heard by others and they took action on it. I just think is kind of the magic of exposing yourself to other smart people that are trying to do similar things as you in life. I think it's really cool. The ideas are never the obstacle. 
but in Merrill and Ben's case, and I think this is a case of a lot of entrepreneurs, what was the obstacle is they wanted to make a change in their life. And so this kind of idea was the impetus for that change, which I think is very important to recognize. You know, They didn't want to just start a business so they could be business owners. They wanted to start a business to change their lives. And I think that businesses can be very powerful in that way. So speaking of powerful, if you haven't yet heard Tristan King on this show, it's worth going back to check out TMBA 282. I think there's probably still another couple ideas left over in his business idea suggestions. And speaking of which, we should definitely have Tristan back on the show to see how he's doing. If you want to comment on this episode, check out the show notes or give a shout to the Bean Ninjas. You can see all the notes to this episode at tropicalmba.com slash productized four. And that's just the number four. All right, Ian, I'll see you next week. Awesome. Look forward to it, Dan. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.